Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven that was as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance or the ability to speak. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. I could read more because this is an exciting passage, but that's enough to get us started. I'd like to talk to you about this celebration, this day, a party called Pentecost. Why don't you just thank the Lord and celebrate this day just another moment before you're seated. Amen. You may be seated. Well, when you drove up today, you may have noticed that the word Pentecostal is on our sign. It's in our church name. We are people who identify with what I just read from the Bible about Pentecost. And our local church ministers who are licensed and our church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International, the largest oneness Pentecostal organization, over 4,500 local congregations in the United States and Canada, over 10,000 licensed ministers, and around the world, over 3 million constituents just in our one organization alone. I thank God to be a Pentecostal person who identifies with what God did on this day. There's nothing sacred about being called a Pentecostal, but there is something significant with identifying with what God did on what is widely celebrated in all of Christianity as the birthday of the church. But this was not some isolated event that happened on a given day in a city called Jerusalem. But this was connected to Old Testament Bible prophecies that God pointed to this specific day. Jeremiah, the, pro the prophet, wrote that God would write his law in our hearts. It wouldn't just be imposed on us by Ten Commandments, but we would have God's nature embedded in us by his spirit. He would put his law in our inward parts. Isaiah wrote that with stammering lips and another tongue, God would speak to his people that this was the rest and this was the refreshing. 
Now, some people believe that this was written about an invading army who would speak a different language. But the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 books in your New Testament of the Bible, specifically related speaking in tongues in the New Testament to this Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. Ezekiel said that the Lord would give us a new heart and that he would give us a new spirit that he would put his spirit inside of us. And in at least three letters written to the church in the New Testament, this passage is referred to or loosely referenced. The prophet Joel in the Old Testament said it like this in Joel 2.28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy your old men shall see dreams and dream dreams your young men shall see visions and also upon my servants and upon my handmaids in those days will I pour out of my spirit now in the new testament on the day of Pentecost, when the apostle Peter, who was given the keys to the kingdom of God by Jesus himself to open access to the kingdom of God, Peter said that the phenomenon of Pentecost, this speaking with other tongues, which is the sign of the initial coming of the Spirit, Peter said that this experience is the same thing that was prophesied by Joel that in the last day God would pour out of his spirit on all flesh. This is not some weird experience that just happened in a vacuum. It was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures that God would come visit us, not with an external law, but with a spirit that would put his nature on the inside of us. John the Baptist came preaching repentance, but he said, I'm baptizing you in water unto repentance. But he said, there's one coming after me. He's mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John said that the Lord told him that the one you see the Spirit descending on, that was Jesus, that he would baptize you with the Holy Ghost. In the ministry of Jesus, he was Emmanuel, God with us. But Jesus said, I am with you, but I shall be in you. He said that if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He said that if you believe on me, as the scripture has said, out of your belly, out of your innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. John Explain to us in a parenthesis in John chapter 7, verse 39, the fourth book in the New Testament, that Jesus was talking about the Spirit that those that believe on him would receive. But John said, not yet, that it would not be poured out until Jesus was ascended or glorified. Jesus said in John 14, 
that he would send a comforter, that he would come to us by his spirit. He said that the comforter was the Holy Ghost. Jesus called the comforter, the Holy Ghost, the spirit of truth. In, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus told the disciples, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but I want you to go wait. I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued or filled with power from on high. In the sequel to the book of Luke, the book of Acts, Jesus in chapter 1, he told his disciples that you are going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. He had told his disciples, he breathed on them, and he admonished them, he told them to receive the Holy Ghost. And then, just before he ascended into heaven, Jesus said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth that was the promise of Pentecost that would come on a very special day that we celebrate as the day of Pentecost now I want to give you a little background because while many of us Pentecostals think we understand it. Let me give you the historical, biblical context. Jewish life was marked by festivals and celebrations that God had instituted to remind his people of what he had done in their lives. There were three great festivals, and they were mandatory for every man to come and appear before God at Passover, at Pentecost, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. These were very important to the Lord. In their festival year, that first feast was the Feast of Passover. And it commemorated the day that God delivered his people out of Egyptian bondage. It started their year. It was the first month of their entire year. The Lord said that Passover is a reminder to you. But how did it occur? Pharaoh and the Egyptians had God's people enslaved. The Lord had visited Egypt with nine plagues, but Pharaoh would still not let God's people go. So there was a tenth plague coming. It would be the death of every firstborn person or livestock animal in all of Egypt. And the Israelites, God's chosen people, who were there as slaves, would only be exempt one way. The Lord said, I want you to take a lamb and kill it, and I want you to take the blood in a basin and take a hyssop branch, and I want you to apply the blood to your doorpost and the lintel or the header of that door. And on this night, the death angel will pass through the land of Egypt. But when I see that blood, I will 
pass over you. That's where that Jewish feast got its name, that God saw the blood that was applied to their house and judgment was averted because of the blood. Let me pause to say that you are not saved by anything that you have ever done, but you are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Passover, take a lamb, kill it, shed the blood, apply it to your house. And he said, I want you to take this lamb without blemish. If it's too much for you, share it with another house. And in this feast of Passover, the Lord gave some specific instructions. He said, I want you to get fully dressed. I want you to have your staff in your hand. And I want you to eat this in a hurry. Cook it over an open fire. Don't slow cook it. I want you to make bread very quickly, unleavened bread. No yeast in this bread. It will be flat and kind of tasteless. With this meal, I want you to eat bitter herbs because this day of Passover will be an annual reminder that when you were in slavery in Egypt, you were under cruel taskmasters and your life was bitter and flat. That's what your life was. But when I get ready to lead you out of sin, I want you to have your shoes on. I want you to have your walking stick in your hand. Because when I say go and get out of your old life, I don't want you to kind of wait and loiter around. I want you to get out of Egypt. Amen. If God is calling you out of sin, you don't need to take a month or a week or a day to think about what God is calling you to. You need to walk out of your old life and thank God for the blood that was shed for your sins and the sins of the world. Passover. I want you to eat it in a hurry. Bitter herbs, it's an annual reminder. And then the Lord said, this is an exclusive feast. If anybody's not a Jew and they call them uncircumcised people, don't let them be part of this. This is kind of for us and no one else. And then he said, no foreigners are allowed to eat of this feast. It's going to be just for us. No hired servants, no foreigners it's a solemn feast. We're going to get together and we're going to make this a very serious occasion. It is a commemoration that someone died that you can be free. And the Apostle Paul told us, told us that Jesus Christ was our Passover who was crucified or sacrificed for us. That's what Passover was like. So if 50 days before Pentecost... They had this feast of Passover that was about death, that was exclusive, that was about bitter memories, about what God had saved you from. But for every Jewish person, much of the Old Testament, of course, centers around the Jewish people who were God's chosen people in that generation or in those generations. But Pentecost would come 50 Days later, that word penta means 50th. That's where we get the name of our church because we commemorate 
And we believe in what happened 50 days after Passover when Pentecost was fully come. 50 days, seven weeks. It's called the Feast of Weeks. It celebrated the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. All of the grains were gathered in. And later at Tabernacles, it would be the end of the fruit harvest. So here we are at Pentecost, a celebration of a harvest. And it was a very special time. No ordinary labor set this aside. We're going to thank God for abundance and blessing that we've got crops and food to eat and God's been good to us. But it was more than just that. It was a tremendous party that God would throw for the people of Israel. I want to show you just a few things about this feast, about this party from Deuteronomy chapter 16. Way back in the Old Testament, let's talk about Pentecost past. The Lord said, you're going to rejoice before the Lord your God. At Passover, you're going to be solemn and sober. But at Pentecost, you're going to be in your dancing shoes and your party attitude. And you're going to come and celebrate what God has done in your life. The word rejoice from the Hebrew means to brighten up, to cheer up, to be glad, to make joyful, and to rejoice in God. So just to let you know that this is a good day and a glad day and a day filled with lots of joy and celebration. And then the Lord said, I want this to be a family affair. You're going to bring, verse 11, your son and your daughter. Now, a lot of the festivals would have been for adults only, big people. But at Pentecost, the Lord said, I want you to bring your kids to this celebration because I'm going to say something now that I will do later when Pentecost is fully come. And then the Lord said, I want you to bring all of your employees. Back then they were called maidservants and men servants. The slaves that would normally be on the outside looking in. He said at Pentecost, I want you to bring them. And then the next phrase said, and Levites. Those are those guys that work a full-time job working for the church. They're cleaning and taking care of the door, and they're always busy. They're always on the job. But at Pentecost, he said, I want you to invite the Levite to be a part of that, the Levite that is in your gates. And the next phrase, he said, I want you to bring the stranger. Now, that meant the foreigner. Normally, he can't be a part of this. But at Pentecost, I want everybody who's living around you, who's not part of you, I want them to know that they are welcome at a party called Pentecost. This is a place not just for us four and no more. This party called Pentecost is for the stranger. It's for the foreigner. It's for the visitor. It's for the first-time guest at Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. You are invited to celebrate with us. 
But it went more farther than that. The Lord said, not only do I want you to invite the stranger, he said, I want you to invite the fatherless and the widows to this celebration. Now, back in that day, there was no welfare system. If you were a widow or you were an orphan, you were without resources completely. All the kids that didn't have a father or a mother were often street kids and beggars and on the outside looking in. But Pentecost was an inclusive celebration. It was a party that everybody could come to even if you didn't have a dad or a mom or a pedigree. If you were a widow and your husband had died and left you with nothing, you got invited to this party called Pentecost because the Lord said, there's a place. I'm going to put my name there. And when you celebrate, I want you to bring your sons and your daughters. I want you to bring the men and women that work for you. Bring those people who work for the church. I want you to go get the stranger, the foreigner, and bring them in. Go get the outcast, the widow, and the orphan, and make them part of this party called Pentecost. I am saying this to tell you that if it was up to pedigree, I would not be here. I've only got to look back two generations to find drunks and gamblers and a man that walked away from his family but the grace of God came to my grandfather and the grace of God came to my father and said you may be on the outside looking in but not at Pentecost come on inside and celebrate with us why don't you do it right now if you know that Jesus has brought you into a place where you are part of the family of God, you should thank him for it now. Amen. The Lord said, I don't, want to for, I don't want you to forget where I brought you from. He had told Israel, don't, I want you to look back to the rock I dug you out of. I want you to go back and look at the hole of the pit from which you were digged. You may, you may look nice today. You may have a new degree and a diploma. But if it was not for my grace in your life, where would you be? You might be rich, you'd be lost. You might be poor, but you'd be lost. No matter who you are, we are saved by the grace of God. We're invited to a party called Pentecost. Amen. The Lord said, when you come, I don't want you to come empty-handed. Bring an offering. Bring a gift to God. Bring some praise. Bring your life. I want you to come to Pentecost and bring whatever you've got. It may not be much, but whatever it is, it's a free will offering. There's no admission charge or set amount. It's just you bring what you can to this party called Pentecost to contribute what you can for what God has done for you. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jews celebrated this party. They would come for Passover, solemn festival, exclusive. Not everybody could be a part. And then because if you lived in a foreign country, 
to get back to Jerusalem was very expensive. You didn't hop on a cheap jet, you know, and fly back to Jerusalem. If you live hundreds or thousands of miles away, you probably came for Passover and you stuck around for Pentecost. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that there were dwelling at Jerusalem devout men out of every nation under heaven, whether they had come for Passover and stayed for Pentecost or whether they had come for Passover, gone home, and come back. If you were a devout Jew, you didn't miss Passover or Pentecost or tabernacles. It was mandatory attendance by God himself. So on the day of Pentecost, just like thousands of other Pentecosts for centuries and centuries, Jerusalem was filled to overflowing with these pilgrims that came to celebrate. There are widows and orphans and Levites and foreigners and sons and daughters and man servants and maid servants. Everybody was there. And in the middle of all of that was 120 people or so. Jesus had told them, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to stay there until you are endued or filled with power from on high. So they met there and they prayed. A week or more, they were there together. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus Christ, 120 people in all gathered there praying and waiting and praying and waiting. And the book of Acts chapter 2 opens with this exciting news that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, all the waiting was over. Pentecost passed, became Pentecost fulfilled. And everything that those past Pentecostal festivals had pointed toward came to pass in a very real, spiritually tangible way. Let's read about it. Verse 2. And when the day of Pentecost, I'll start over in verse 1, was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. We read it earlier, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Can you imagine staying there seven days or more? You're praying, and all of a sudden it sounded like a tornado had blown in the house. The sound of a rushing mighty wind. Jesus said that when a person is filled with the Holy Ghost, it was like the wind blowing in their life, like God breathing the breath of life into Adam. Now the spiritual wind has blown and filled the entire house. Mary, the mother of Jesus, could have looked across the room and she would have seen a cloven tongue, a forked tongue, a fiery spiritual sign that was hovering over every person. Because Pentecost is for all of us, but it is also for each of us. I want to explain what I mean by that. It's not for you to just come and get lost in the crowd of the rushing mighty wind. But the Holy Ghost comes to every person. It's for you and you and you. It's a tongue of fire 
that sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They started doing something very unusual that had never happened in the history of the world. Galilean Jews who probably only spoke Aramaic, maybe a few spoke Hebrew, but they spoke the universal language of the day, but they started saying things in a language that they had never learned before. We call it speaking with other tongues. The Bible said that the Spirit had given them the utterance or the ability to speak. A hundred and twenty people speaking in a bunch of different languages. They did not understand what each other were saying, but God did. I don't know how they were acting, but I have a feeling at the party called Pentecost, they weren't stoic and laid back because there was fire and wind and speaking with other tongues and worship and praise and a party called Pentecost. Hmm. A lot of devout men from all over the world were in Jerusalem and they heard about what was going on over there, maybe this party moved to the temple. I kind of think it did for a large multitude to gather and for 3,000 to be saved on one day. And they stood around and somebody went over to one of the disciples, one over the 120, and they said, this person is a Galilean Jew. He doesn't speak in the Greek language. He doesn't speak in the language that we speak at Cyrene or Rome or Arabia. But listen, it is perfect. It is perfect in my own tongue. The Bible said they were confounded. Verse 6. Because they heard every man speak in their own language. Now, you cannot do this on your own. And no one can teach you how to speak in tongues. But if Jesus fills you with the Holy Ghost, you will speak in a language that you never learn as the Spirit gives you the ability to speak. Verse 7. And they were all amazed and marveled. I think that might be an understatement. And they said, how is this happening? And then the Bible gives us a list of the nations these people were from. Look at this with me. Verse 9. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes, Arabians, do we hear them speak in our tongues? And what are they saying? They're saying the wonderful works of God. Now I want to pause just to say that there is a cult in our world that says that speaking in tongues is of the devil. But that is blasphemy 
Because that is saying that something God does is something the devil does. And God with the devil would never put in you a tongue to give praise to Jesus Christ as the Lord of all. They're speaking the wonderful works of God. A person that doesn't speak in the language of the Medes is talking in that language and the language of the Mesopotamians. And by the way, when you speak in tongues, it is not gibberish or unintelligible speaking. It is a real language, whether dead in the past or a live language. But on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they were talking in a language fluently that somebody could understand. One time in my life, I heard a person who only knew Japanese receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and they spoke perfect English and they were saying words to Jesus of praise to glorify Him. I know our missionaries around the world have testimonies like that. I just want to tell you that God at the Tower of Babel confused languages. And on the day of Pentecost, he used languages again to say, this is a sign that I brought my people together, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, young, old. It is a sign of the Holy Ghost that you will speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives you the utterance. Verse 12. Amazed, in doubt, what in the world does this mean? And then, like there always are, there were some who just made fun of what was happening. They mocked and they said, these men are full of new wine. Now I'm thankful that I've never been drunk on, in my life, but if you were drunk or high, you might be saying some things that people don't understand, but it would not be in perfect language that you did not know. So what a weird, false charge that was unfounded. The apostle Peter was the man that Jesus had given keys to give access to the kingdom of heaven. And he stood up and said that these people are not drunk like you think. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But he said what you see happening and what you hear happening Later, he says that God has shed forth this, which you both see and you hear. What you see and what you hear is not just some crazy one-time event, but this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel saying, In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. <clears throat> now I am sorry to say that not everybody embraces the birthday of the church. 
and what God did then that he is still doing now. There are a lot of people that say it happened then only to spread the gospel. But Peter stood up on that same day and he preached in one language that they all understood and 3,000 people were saved that day. But there were people from over 16 countries that went back home convinced that Pentecost was for you and your children and to everybody that is afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So it does not matter in what's happening in the church down the street, in a church that has done away with the power of the Spirit. I'm glad that I can trace my roots, not to church history, but through church history, back to the original outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And what happened then is happening now. And God has brought us to a party, to a celebration of Pentecostal power and practice. And this is that. This happened then and it's happening now. Would you stand with me right now and would you give praise to Jesus Christ for everything he's done in you? Go ahead, praise him. If it's been a long time since you've spoken in tongues, why don't you let Pentecost come to you today? If it's never happened to you, if you will ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, he will come into your life today. Hallelujah. Now I need to tell you how it happens. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. The apostle Peter continues to preach. And finally, there is such a heaviness inside of his hearers that they want to know, what shall we do? We feel guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ. What are we to do about this? And Peter said unto them, repent, turn away from your sins, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And I can tell you that we are ready today to baptize you in Jesus' name. We have a baptistry, changing rooms, garments, towels, people that will explain this to you so that you can see it in the Bible for yourself. But Peter said, turn from your sins and repentance. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And look at this. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 39. For the promise. The promise. Not just for a few people. The promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off. It sounds like Old Testament Pentecost, doesn't it? We're going to go reach out to the foreigner, to the irreligious person, to somebody that's never walked in a church in their life. Their life is messed up and broken by sin, but they walked into a place where Pentecost is practiced. Amen. And the power of God can change your life today. As many as the Lord our God shall call. 
Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. You may not understand everything you see and feel today, everything you hear going on today, but I can tell you that this is not a marginalized experience. It is not a kooky experience by a few people. This is the history of the church of every background. Every Christian church traces its roots to what I have told you about today. So today... We're not just getting in touch with something that's happening today. But this is that that happened on the day of Pentecost. This is that that was prophesied by Joel in the Old Testament. This is what Jesus said could happen to you. So don't go home without it. Would you bow your heads right now? Jesus I pray that you would reveal truth to people in this house today. To men and women who are a little overwhelmed right now. And taken back by the atmosphere in this room. Lord, we have not come to be stoic or quiet. There are times for reflection and meditation. Lord, but we've come to gather together to worship your name. We've come to celebrate our salvation. We've come to praise you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. For we know you're seeking people who will worship you like that. We've come, oh Lord, to lay aside our pride. We've come, oh God, to put aside our prejudice. We've come, oh God, as many people from many backgrounds to one experience that is universal. Not to an exclusive thing, but to a universal power of the Holy Ghost. So I pray today in Jesus' name. As we cleanse our hearts of sin and we prepare our hearts for you, that you would let the celebration begin, that a sinner would come home to you, that a backslider would return to you, that a saint who's gotten cold in their spirit would reconnect with the experience that set them free, oh God. Help us, oh God, to not be sophisticated Pentecost. But help us be true blue, apostolic, Holy Ghost filled people. Would you begin to praise Him now?